It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, mateys. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. It's a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 54, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Looks like we may have gotten our act together and are planning to have a weekend release, April 1st or 2nd maybe, for the Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales trailers. It's our bonus episode. That's news to me. That's why I put it in here because our act together for us actually means that we just announce a date, then we have to hit a timeline. That's why I didn't say first or I didn't say second. I said first or second. That way we have a little floating room, but it's not so wide as for us to procrastinate until, you know, a month or so away. <laughs> it actually nails us down to a point. We'll be looking at the recent trailers and breaking them down, so keep an eye out for that episode to drop over the weekend. And that's why it's best to subscribe, so you don't miss an episode, people. Just go ahead and click subscribe. It helps us out. There's definitely some exciting visuals and even the appearance of Jack Sparrow and a young Jack Sparrow, which we didn't see in the first trailer, so that should be very fun. I'm still a little bitter that we dropped our first bonus episode for the first trailer, Without even really thinking that, yeah, you know, Disney may drop another trailer on Super Bowl weekend. Man, that was just a bummer. But Four then times. you'd have to do three. Yeah, we'd have to do three. No, but what I'm saying is we could have at least planned for it or made some announcements. Instead, we just look like goofballs because we dropped it. And then it's like, oh, wait, everybody just watched the Super Bowl trailer and we're old news now. Not everybody. Well, some people. We didn't, actually. No. Don't tell anybody, guys. Your, we want to pretend like we're at least in. The- <laughs> your mom had to tell us that it re- aired. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had an insider tip. <laughs> well, we are focused on pirate action. That's what we do. So, speaking of pirate action, let's just get going and call it a day. Pirate action. Or not call it a day, but let's call that intro banter a day. Let's get going. Is that a euphemism? What? Euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Euphemism. It's not, it's not a euphemism, but it is a euphemism. No, it's not even that. <laughs> In the previous minute, Will gives Gibbs a second, much-deserved bath. Shouldn't be a surprise if you're sleeping with pigs. On a side note, I have a feeling the entire town needs a bucket of water or two, or three, for the smell. <laughs> Anyways, a soap included. Yeah, exactly. Anyways... Will finds himself standing guard in the tavern with the aid of the occasional and reputable Lady for Hire. While Jack spills the grog to Gibbs that if he can round up a crew, he can take the pearl back. He has leverage, says I. Leverage. He has leverage, says I, given the elfin pirate is none other than the son of Bootstrap Bill. Gibbs is just about to finish what he heard on Twitter of Barbosa. <laughs> Did you catch my elfin? I got the I'm elfin. I'm throwing it in. I got to work on that. Dang it. <laughs> Minute 54 begins with Gibbs finishing his story saying, Suffer fools, nor strike a bargain with one. Captain Sparrow says, It's a good thing I'm not a fool. Then as Gibbs calls that statement out, says, Prove me wrong. The minute ends with a toast between Jack and Gibbs. The tankards clink as we hear, Take what you can, give nothing back. It's a matter of leverage, says I. 
So that's where we kind of start things, or at least that's where I'm starting things. Jack and Gibbs discussing what's going on. And it's at that exact moment that Will turns and looks at them. Did you notice that? Yeah, I was wondering why. Did he hear it? Did he... That's what I was wondering. Continue on. Let's see if we're wondering everything the same. (laughs) I was wondering if he heard them say it's leverage, or did he just kind of look back at that exact moment, or... Was the lady really bugging him? (laughs) And he was saying, help me. He was saying, Jack, spot me a pieces of eight. I got a lady here. (laughs) No, She she wasn't quite Elizabeth type, though. Well, he he does have a heart for Elizabeth. So I don't know if he's that kind of person. Uh, A lady for hire, I don't know. I'm thinking Will's just the one man woman. Okay. But yeah. One woman man. I don't know, did he, if he heard their conversation or was it just kind of this, hey, the director's saying, Will, look back for that effect to the scene. Mm-hmm. Like they're talking about Will. He looks back. So we get that shot of him. It's reminding us that Will is just a pawn in Jack's game to retrieve his stolen, I mean, commandeered ship. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Unless he heard the word leverage or leverage. Leverage. As I say it, but Heather keeps correcting me because that's how... In the movie, it's leverage. Leverage is said. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what it was. If it was just acting and direction versus did he actually hear something. Because once you know... It's like when you get that someone calls your name or says your name kind of thing. Or you think you hear something, you turn to look. And was it... That was the potentially the case? I don't know. It was really just the podcast playing in the background? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he heard us. So he turned to look. He's breaking the fourth wall. There's also a bit of comedy relief while discussing this like rather serious Black Pearl subject here. Jack gives Gibbs a few nods of the head pointing to yeah. Will as he's the leverage. You know, this is who we're talking about. And he keeps doing that, which is that comedy moment of... Well, it's not really comedy if you have to explain it, I guess. But he's he's nodding Gibbs in that direction. Gibbs is just like, what the hell are you doing with your head? Because Jack, you has, Jack has these weird mannerisms. He's probably just thinking, okay, is he just twitching? Or is he, <laughs> is he actually trying to say something here? So, yeah, because he hasn't seen him in a while. He doesn't know. Maybe it's gotten worse. And so he's just trying to figure this whole thing out. Not to mention he was awakened by a bucket of water. He's... Had some grog and rum, and he's a little out of it. Yeah, he just doesn't know what's going on. But actually, was his clothes dry? I didn't. I forgot to look. His hair was still wet. Was it still wet? Yeah, okay, it was all I, slick back and still wet. As I was thinking about it, I was going, "Oh, he should still be wet." I and didn't so, notice his clothes, but his hair's still wet. That would be something for us to check out. Jeez, great minute by minute breakdown on our part to see if he was still a little damp. You rushed me, dude. And Gibbs definitely doesn't get it right away about what no. Jack is kind of clue him in on with the head nod and then like hey that's bootstrap son you know take a peek right there that's our leverage 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 this is again comes back to what we were talking about yesterday there was no need for him to elaborate on how having bootstrap son was important to the curse so we didn't really talk about will himself but there's no need for gibbs to even get an explanation because he already believes everything about the curse is true which we still don't know all the pieces yet, but we know that the Turners, Bootstrap, Will, or Elizabeth Turner, is important to this curse somehow, or to Barbosa and his crew. But Gibbs definitely needs no explanation. He's already familiar with the curse. 
And we already talked about that. And so, I, you know, it's just something that's going to be revealed later on. But, yeah, Gibbs is full on already bought into the whole thing. So it's already there. But the funny part about this, too, it's not just the head nod nobody understands or the head nod Gibbs doesn't understand what's going on. But Jack is trying to be kind of a bit coy. It's like you see something, you're trying to shake your head. Heather is notoriously bad at this. It's especially if I say, don't look now. Well, Her anybody. Head, no, not everybody. Oh, yeah. Not everybody. Don't look now. Everybody looks. No, you, you know, don't. Don't say the words, don't look now, because everybody's looking. We're no, looking at. You yeah. just don't look now. No. I'll tell you when to look. You just no. wait a second. That's not the way it goes. Everybody looks now goes. when somebody says, don't look now. No, you don't. If you have some no. good sense about you, you have to control those no. urges. Nobody you, has. You have animalistic urges. Nobody you can't can control, control those. Everybody can control no. those. You're the only one. No. Anyways, where I was going with this serious topic here that Heather interrupted me with her crazy animal instincts is that Jack is trying to be a bit coy and quiet and nodding his head. But then afterwards, he just goes ahead and says, you know, Will yeah. and Bootstrap, and he starts talking about it again. So I don't know what was going on with that. I think it was just part of the the comedy of it, the mannerisms. And sometimes you actually do that. I know I can be guilty of doing that kind of stuff. And then I'll nod and point, and then nobody else is in the room or nearby to hear, and I'm doing that kind of stuff. And when I could have just said it, it would be a lot easier. Oh, Heather, yeah. Heather blames me a lot for that. Like, yeah. why didn't you just say that instead of giving me some weird head thing? Heather, actually, now that I think about it, you are Gibbs. You have no clue at the nonverbal communication things. I don't look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, most of the time you're nodding your head. I'm not even looking your direction. That's a pierce to the heart. Oh, right there. you don't look at me. Well, there's good reason for that. <laughs> so again, this comes back to, I don't know if Jack was just trying to avoid some of that in why Will looked, but he just goes ahead and then starts talking about him just in general in a normal voice. So it's not even like he was whispering at that point. Well, he didn't say his name. Well, he was kind of, you know, he does he say that's the son of Bootstrap. The child of Bootstrap. Bootstrap Bill Turner. His only child. Savvy. Yeah, but just even the name Turner or Bootstrap yeah. would get him to look. Yeah. So I don't know why he was being quiet. Like I said, I do it and I'm guilty of it. So I think that that <laughs> strikes realism to me then. Maybe I'm uh, Jack Sparrow. But that goes to say that Will probably didn't hear him. That's true. Because he definitely right. would have turned when he heard that. That's right. You're right. So I think that was just movie effects and direction to get us to have he that He was just response. checking on him. Well, he was. He, well, he make he sure they were still there. He doesn't leave trust him. pirates anyway, so he's probably giving them the one eye. Anyways, what the hell are they really talking yeah. about? And why couldn't I be there? Why did I have to stand guard here? Well, he, that's the other thing. Yeah, because he, you know, well, Jack gives him a reason that. What does he say? He Stay says, sharp or something like that. Keep a watchful eye. Or am I screwing this all up? What does he actually say? You're the you're the keeper of the actual. Keep a sharp eye. Keep a sharp eye. So they are worried about some things, which I don't Are really, they really? Yeah, I think he was just keeping them away, away from, from them. that. That's a good point. Because all these pirates are there. They can whisper. It's not like there's any spies that can sneak up on him. He's just keeping Will posted, making him think he needs to keep a sharp eye so he can relay this information to Gibbs. Because maybe Gibbs is like Heather. He's not real coy about these things. And you say to look now. So if he were to say right there in front of him, this is the son of Bootstrap Bill. Gibbs would have been like, oh, my God. And then Will would have been wondering what the hell was going on and why he's so important. So that's that was his reason. 
I'm glad I was able to deduce that all on my own. I don't think you were. I did. No. This is obviously why you can't have a one-man show. <laughs> you Welcome only, to the Pirates you only of the Caribbean One way. You are very black and white. Walk the plank. What Welcome to the loan <laughs> show, because now I'm going loan on my own because of that okay. comment. Let's see. Let's see how the fans like it when you go loan. Oh, I can hear the applause now. Uh-huh. Okay, I think I think we probably covered that to a point. But this whole there's something that spoils it for me here. This whole well, this whole minute, actually. It's after they clank during the toast, they take a drink of their rum or grog yeah. or beer or whatever they have in those tankards. Yeah. And it really looks like there's nothing in those mugs. Like I said, we'll just call them mugs. Does it just seem empty to you? Does it look Does it look like fake drinking? Does I, it really look like fake drinking I to you? I guess I didn't look that closely at it. I mean, I've, I'll be honest. I, if one of the things in movies I always look at is when they take a drink of something. And I've always had a problem with like the fake drinking in movies. Something never seems right about it. It always looks a bit fake. Now maybe there's some liquid in these tankards. I don't know. Or maybe it just wasn't enough in there to actually sell me on the idea that they were actually drinking. But it didn't look real. And I'm not complaining just about this movie or critiquing this movie. This happens on a lot of movies where there's that they take a drink of something. And they really didn't, I don't think, took a drink. I wasn't on the set there, but it doesn't look real to me. You know, a lot of people end up swallowing down the wrong pipe and choking. So maybe that's why they don't drink on that. Don't even get me started on that with Heather. (laughs) She can't take a drink. If you're you're like, be very quiet, you know, and there's people coming, but she's really thirsty and she has to take a drink, you know, the zombie apocalypse, it'd be all over with. Because as soon as she takes one drink, she's coughing and choking. Not always. Always. No. Not every single drink, but every drink setting. It's at least once or twice a day she's yakking on drink. And you know it's true. It's unbelievable. Every other day. Every other day. Not. But anyways, where I was going with this is some people... I actually looked this up when I saw this minute. Not to see if there's anything liquid in the mugs or they were drinking anything. Obsessed much? No, I was trying to see what... What I was actually looking up was what do people say is the hardest thing to do or act? Because I've heard, you've heard, and probably other people have heard that th- they say the hardest thing to always act is to act drunk. Or Heather's looking at me like she's never heard any <laughs> never of this heard stuff that. before. Just goes to show you, you're bringing gold to the show right now. <laughs> Great comments. Well, Johnny Depp doesn't have a problem acting that way. No, that's true. Right. He does a pretty good job he at does, it. I'm just saying that people say that the hardest thing to act okay. drunk. In another list that was from the Den of Geek, and that's denofgeek.com, said crying and laughing was also on their list of what maybe is the hardest thing for people to do. I act. would think. Because fake laughing or fake crying fake. can be hard. But I'm starting to think that fake drinking should be on this list. It's just something about the mouth and the throat. It just doesn't ring true. It just seems like it's there's nothing in there. Sometimes the way you're, you're holding your hand in the your glass or your mug or whatever, because you're not as careful as if it had liquid in it. So it just doesn't always ring true to me. So that's what I'm saying. It just doesn't pass as believable. I And maybe it's just me. It's just and you. maybe there was stuff actually in those drinks, but it didn't really look right to me. It's okay. I'll take a better look at it. Yeah, you can do that and we can report back. But unless, yes, actually, this is another Pirate of the Caribbean Minute theory coming here. What if both Jack and Gibbs, they're both booze lovers as we know, actually finished their drinks already. So when they sat down, they drank them and they are done. But since they were having this great reunion together and then they were going to do this toast, 
they didn't want to break up this like reunion party just to admit they had already finished their rum and have to go back to the bar. Wait, hold the toast. Got to go back to the freaking bar. So they didn't want to commit that party foul. So they just pretended each of them to have rum in there and called it a day. That way they didn't break up this cool toast that they're about to do. Maybe that's the case. That's just my guess. I'll just have to look and see. Yeah, take a look. Let me know. If you guys think the same thing, let us know. Or if I'm completely off base, you can do that too. But it just, I don't know, something about movies with the fake drinking, uh, it doesn't always ring true to me. just doesn't look right. I don't know what it is. Maybe because why. I'm maybe because I'm so used to Heather choking while drinking that that's what I expect everybody to Whatever. do while drinking. <laughs> I don't understand why over and choke. Why they would fake drink? It's not difficult to drink. <laughs> Apparently for it is, Heather. People. Yeah. Oh, for most unless people, unless you, you have that. lines right after you're drinking, you got to swallow. And... Maybe because they're doing it so much, they don't need to be drinking all the time, or it's just easier not to. They'd have to pee all the time. I well, I don't know. I'm so very, as a professional oh God, actor, I, I know how to, to do that. And I drink and I can do it really well. Or they don't want big... You don't drink. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't need to drink. I'm like a camel. You drink like eight ounces all day long. That's a week, actually. Excuse you. <laughs> but maybe it's because they don't want to gulp or they have that accidental choke or mess up or have a weird sound come off with the mics or pick that up. So maybe, maybe. they just do that. I don't know. If anybody knows, let us know. Yeah. But sometimes there's real drinking. Yeah. Sometimes it just looks fake. I don't know. It could just be me, like I said. Chew. We'll just leave it at that, Chew. Okay, it's me. Blame it on me. Okay. I mentioned the toast, too. This cool toast, actually. It's take what you can, give nothing back. Thank you, Foley artist. And as usual, I always see a couple of meanings in things. And so I thought that this actually had a couple of meanings for me, or at least I made some connection to, or made some stuff up. But it comes back to Jack's two rules that we talked about last week when he and Will were on the Interceptor. And he was saying what a man can do and what a man can't do. Those were the two rules. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think this toast are those two rules, but maybe reformatted, so to speak, or just kind of jumbled up a little bit. It's a simple idea that you're going to do what you can and or do what we can since there's two of them there. And that's that. It's take what you can, give nothing back. It's we're going to do what we can and and there's no explanation needed for it. I feel like I've heard this before, though. Uh, my, I didn't actually look too much into it in pop culture or elsewhere, so I don't know. But maybe you have. Or maybe you've seen it so, in the movie so many times that that's where it is. Maybe. But then I also think that it's really like this perfect pirate toast. It's all about greed and taking. Self-serving is first and foremost. And then I guess we can just say it's a pirate's life for Gibbs and Jack. I don't know. That's why I see it. That makes sense. Yeah. You know. Because I mean, it fits right in with what they what do. Take what you can and give pirate. nothing back. It's the it's, epitome it's of being a pirate, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're doing charity work out there. <laughs> they're giving it and they're, they're not the Robin Hood types. No. And then the toast actually does have a nautical reference and a meaning. So it's not just greedy pirate philosophy or words to live by, as I was talking about. But then when we actually get into the toast itself, and I don't know if that's the origin of the toast. I was listening to the writers, and they took it from the crew on the Lady Washington. So when... They were hanging out with the crew of the Lady Washington, which, just a reminder, is the real ship that plays the HMS Interceptor. So when they were coming to dock, the crew would say, take what you can, give nothing back. And it's all about pulling the lines in as much as you can when it goes slack, and then you don't let that slack go. Don't give up the line. So that's actually the nautical reference to that, which is pretty cool. Oh, okay. Because you definitely don't want the... You want to be able to pull it in, and you want to be able to hold it. You don't want it to be going back. So... 
nautical term for sure and my dual pirate meanings is, is how I'm taking it. So I guess three meanings, if you will. Trace meanings. One real meaning and then I have my two crazy made up things that now will become gold and canon for the Pirates of the Caribbean universe because I said it. Exactly. We talked also about the music yesterday and all this stuff that enhances this particular tavern scene with Jack and Gibbs talking. And here we have a continuation, as I mentioned, of the dark ship piece. And it's that eerie rumbling music. When Jack reveals to Gibbs that Will is the son of Bootstrap and this kind of light bulb in Gibbs' head clicks on, the music is perfectly timed to have that feel of a secret is revealed kind of deal. It's like the pieces are all coming together, they're all connecting, and the dots are being connected. It's hard to describe it. It's always hard to describe some of that music, but it really mm-hmm. is that that feeling you get of, oh, you know, it's something that they would play and you would recognize is just, it's like a sense of the secrets revealed. It all connects. It makes sense now. Right. And so putting all this together from the last minute, we go from the ambient bar and fighting sounds to this underlying creepy feel that fades in with the Black Pearl talk and then hits us with that connect the dots feel when Gibbs catches on to Jack's plan that he's holding all these cards. So when I said it was hard to describe, like, the actual music itself, you know, without really getting into maybe some of the sounds of it or just that feeling that it evokes. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of old Scooby-Doo cartoons. And I don't know if that's real or fake. I mean, maybe I should have said if Bugs Bunny. Re- remembering correctly or what? No, not that. It's just, yeah, maybe it's remembering correctly or it's just that feeling I get after watching Scooby-Doo cartoons. Okay. Because, or you know, as I was going to say, maybe I should have said Bugs Bunny because this whole trickster thing. But... It really is a Scooby-Doo specific element. And Scooby-Doo is this, as we all know, is kind of like the mystery show, right? thought you were going to explain Scooby-Doo. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Nothing will ruin Scooby-Doo like a, a definition for it. No, I'm not going to break it down. We're not going to do a minute by minute Scooby-Doo. But it's the mystery show, right? So you have the, the beginning, which is something that's unsolved. You have the creepiness of it that is always there. And then you have the jinxies. We... Know the solution, right? Yes. And then the light bulb goes on and they make their big reveal and all that stuff. So yeah, I did explain it. There you go. Are you happy now? And it's always the people who... You always have this music that is creepy and eerie, ghostly, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And then it transitions to pieces that highlight when Daphne, Fred, and Velma solve the case in this big clue, right? And that's where I'm taking it from. What about Shaggy and (laughs) Scooby-Doo? Do we really have to say that Shaggy and Scooby were actually, they inadvertently helped solve things, but they never pieced the puzzles (laughs) together. But what what I'm going is, is that music always seemed to have that big reveal transition that maybe is what stuck with me for here. And that's maybe why I think about it. And I should probably pull up an old Scooby-Doo cartoon and see if that still rings true. But it just, it's that feeling that you get. Like, you just know what it is. Yeah, but it's that, it's, it's it's hard to explain because it really is a feeling. And I was trying to think of why that is and why it's so hard to explain or why I why I associate certain types of music with with scenes. And it's even like with the creepiness of, say, the Black Pearl music and this dark ship piece. Why do you have that emotional response that denotes something that's creepy? And is it because, like, when we're kids, you know, you can look back and see how funny it is and or how much we learn from cartoons. And is that why... If you were to never hear music in your entire life or see a cartoon and you were played the Black Pearl or this Dark Ship piece, would you think of it as creepy or would it just be music? Because you don't have another association with it, like a cartoon association with it. You haven't seen this music or music like that paired with a ghost or with a ghostly ship or something like that. 
So with the music on its own in its in a vacuum, would it still have that same emotional response or do we get that emotional response because we've been conditioned to see that music as that as kids, right? I mean, that's what I was saying. How much we learn from cartoons. We're introduced to like famous classical music pieces as in Bugs Bunny cartoons or Warner Brothers. I mean, this music affects feelings and denotes tones. It's what's happening. And it obviously works because we find the same techniques utilized in, you know, all films today. And as kids, I don't think we necessarily appreciated it at the time, but we do now. Then you're just hearing that and you're getting to understand how music and all this stuff works together and how much it can enhance that show. It's almost like a subliminal thing sometimes as a kid. You're watching yeah. it and it just seeps in. I mean, how many people out there are probably going, yeah, I owe my appreciation to classical music because of Warner Brothers cartoons. Those are the some oftentimes maybe the first times you've heard a lot of these Beethoven pieces or classic pieces were from cartoons or Fantasia. You know, Pomp and Circumstance and all these things that right. come from that. Rhapsody in Blue. You know, when you hear that, a lot of people or kids have seen that just from cartoons. And so that's what I'm wondering. Is it, do I owe this appreciation to, of this music or what happens with music in movies because of to things like Scooby-Doo? Your childhood Or Bugs cartoons Bunny. Yeah, because it just, it just kind of gets ingrained in there. And then pretty soon that you realize question. that it is. But then, so maybe I just wasn't watching cartoons, but I was obviously learning something, perhaps. I mean, the cartoons now, are they, do they do the music in the, the same way? I have no idea. You know what I mean? Because they're not doing... I'm not even sure Bugs Bunny's on the air anymore. You know, I have no idea. So I'm wondering if... I don't know. Well, the cartoons today are completely different than what we watch. Completely. Well, yeah, I think so. I think that's probably somewhat true. So I'm wondering if they do the music... In the cartoon, this is just, it's not a question either one of us could answer because we really don't know kids' cartoons anymore. Yeah, because the only cartoons that say we're getting, and you don't even really call them cartoons, you call them animation, is kind of Pixar type stuff or movies that are kind of that animation. I don't necessarily see it as the same kind of cartoon or Bugs Bunny type of stuff that we have. Although there's still some great pieces of music that are in those animation Movies, well, yeah, or animated movies that we have today. Yeah, they just don't. They, like Bugs Bunny always had the classics. The yeah, because today that, that they seem to have more original pieces that are actually there that go along with it, as opposed to using great works of music at right. the time or that were really you know had been handed down for hundreds of years sometimes. Yeah, and and that's where we learned our stuff from. So I think it's yeah, it's an interesting question. Kind of like, uh, yeah, we're conditioned from cartoons to appreciate that music. And yeah. we didn't realize, like myself, I always hated it when I was in elementary school or I think that's what it was. You know, we had like a music class. And God, I hated going to that thing. <laughs> Yet I like music and I like, say, classical music and stuff today. Uh -huh. But I hated going to that at the time. I didn't appreciate it. Right. But I didn't realize how much of that I actually was ingrained in me from watching cartoons. And if only... And this is probably something for teachers. If you play those cartoons in music class for elementary school kids, and I think you'd probably get so much more out of that being able to teach that because then it would keep their focus on it yeah. to maybe boring notes and things like that when you start getting right into music notes and things as opposed to just let's start off with watching this Bugs Bunny cartoon and you can see how this music is played here. And I think a lot of our generation probably can, knows so much. It's like it would be like, Here's the top 
here's the top pieces of classical music that everybody knows, but you don't know the name of the song. It's yeah. because of cartoons and Bugs Bunny and yeah. Warner Brothers and stuff. Because you recognize it, you've heard it a thousand yeah. times, you've seen it in all the cartoons, but you couldn't name what it was. No. You would go, my God, that's a Bugs Bunny song. (laughs) (laughs) Or for these young enough, you probably go, that's right. I remember hearing a 10-second clip on Time Life Presents. (laughs) The the, Time Life commercials? Yeah, the greatest classical music pieces or songs from the 50s or Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree. You know, (laughs) from back in the 80s and 90s with Time Life and their records and cds yeah. and tapes and things like that they, they'd sell <laughs> the golden age of piracy and now we have the golden age of cartoons and yeah. classical music for kids so i don't know yeah does it, it resonate today i'm not kinda, sure but it, it's interesting it's kind of interesting in the question you ask if you've never seen a cartoon if you've never seen anything would the music i don't know if there's this it could ever be answered but would the music actually affect you in the same way? Yeah, because you'd have to start off with not seeing any cartoons and not any music put to film where you're seeing a visual with that music. You have to just see, well, actually, if somebody, say, is blind, they may be able to help answer that because then they hear music, but maybe they're not getting the visual stimuli of that is associated with that particular what kind of reference point like emotional response yeah what they get from them does it still but, i don't know but music music creates a in itself creates an emotional response that's right but that's what i'm trying to say does it do that on its own or does it do that it's hard i just don't know from my perspective because i have yeah. seen cartoons but had i not seen it it's almost like you got to go back before you're watching cartoons as a real young baby listening to music and what is that response you get yeah I mean, but there is, you know, research on tone, too. I mean, it's like with babies and puppies, you talk in a certain tone. Yeah. Because they can see that or sense that maybe you're angry or you're not, and they translate that into certain feelings and emotions. So, I don't know. It's an interesting question, and it probably requires us reading some psychology journals or something like that. which. Is a little light reading that I will try to do and add into my, you know, my maritime journal reading that I do. But I, I, I don't got know, a couple of books in the closet there that could, may help you. Well, you're the one who should be doing that, not me. So that's all I got, actually. I mean, we'll just end kind of on the music note, unless you have some things you want to say. I'm all good for today. I am too. I think we'll just kind of end on that existential question of music and the effect on emotion and go from there. Man, I'm really floundering on my ending with the kind of cursed death notes that I try to do sometimes in the evilness. But yeah, I don't know. Something's happened. It's almost like my heart has grown two sizes larger. I'm like (laughs) the Grinch now. Maybe I'm not now. Yes. Personal growth. So we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 55 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Till then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? Then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. 
Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.